The sermon title is, Will You Forgive As You Have Been Forgiven? It's a question. Will you forgive as you have been forgiven? And I'm going to pray for us, and then we will um, get started. Father, I pray that you would miraculously open our hearts and ears to receive all that you have for us. May our love for you grow through this time. And may our love for one another grow during this time. God, we are desperate, um, in need of transformation, and you are the only one who can supply that. So we pray and plead for mercy, as we just sang about. God, be merciful to us and show yourself to be a God of forgiveness, of compassion, of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, there are two reasons why this sermon is a little difficult. Um, first reason, for those who have not heard, this will likely be my last sermon at CLC. Um, I will be stepping out of leadership here and moving on from CLC in mid-August. And uh, this has been something on my mind for the last year or so. The pastors have been discussing it for the last five, six, five, four or five months. And then I announced it to the leadership a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think there have been a few developments in my own mind, heart, that has led me to consider that God might be calling me away from CLC. And for the last few months, I've been thinking about that, processing it, and then um, just putting steps in motion, putting the pieces in motion. Um, I was thinking about sharing all the different reasons that I gave. I'm not going to do that because I had multiple points and then subpoints, and I think that would just be distracting um, for a sermon. But if you want more information, you can talk to your small group leader. I think they have been sufficiently prepared for that conversation. If not, if they do a bad job, you can talk to me. Um, I can give you more information about it. But um, this is a privilege to be able to share and to even reflect on how God has blessed me and hopefully blessed CLC through me. Uh, the second reason why this is a difficult sermon is because the topic of forgiveness is pretty difficult. Um, as soon as you bring up that word, it brings with it all the different troubles and pains and sorrow that people might feel. And with that, there are so many questions on this topic, like, what do I do if someone doesn't admit that they are wrong? doesn't admit that they wronged me. Can I still forgive them? How? 
Or if I forgive someone, does that mean that I reinsert them into my life in the same way that they were before the grievance? And it's just impossible for me to tackle all of these different questions. And um, I ask that you, if you have these questions, please talk to your smoke group leader or talk to me. Um, I have like tons of resources that I could pass your way. Um, I would love to get those in your hands and um, think through this topic of forgiveness. But for today's sermon, um, this passage that we'll be looking at, the topic or the main point is this, forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. And, you know, the reason why forgiveness is such an important topic is because it applies to all of us. It's relevant to all of us. It's been relevant for decades in your life, my life. My daughter, she's one. She barely knows five words. It's relevant to her because she wrongs people like her brother. And she has been wronged by her brother and others and me and a lot of people because we all are a part of this broken, fallen world. So the topic of forgiveness applies to us all. We should be thinking through what does it mean to interact with other people who hurt us? who make life hard for us? And how do people interact with us? Because we're, we do hurting as well. We hurt people. It's not just people who hurt us, but we are not faultless in this topic. So I am um, just asking that your minds and hearts be engaged because you know, I was talking to a few married or single people, and I said, if you want to get married one day, if you ever think about marriage, um, you, you better think about marrying someone who knows how to forgive, who is maturing in forgiveness. And you should be someone who is maturing in forgiveness because that is a relationship where Forgiveness is like a weekly, monthly, maybe daily type of thing. And if you're not good at it, your marriage is going to be terrible. So this is a relevant topic for us all. No matter where we are in life, forgiveness is a relevant topic. So engage our hearts, engage our minds um, as we move through this topic. And, you know, Verse 21 of our passage, Matthew 18, is Peter's question of how many times do I need to forgive someone? Um, how many times, if someone sins against me, do I need to forgive someone? So Matthew 18, verses 15 and 17, that's the context. You know, Jesus is talking about how a church should deal with sin. When people sin in a church context, what should be done? How should the church deal with that? And then Peter shifts the topic to how should I deal with 
people who sin against me? That's the question that leads us to this parable. Verse 21 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brothers sin against me and I forgive them? As many as seven times. There's a common belief amongst the Jews that three times was pretty good. The fourth time, you don't, you don't have to forgive anymore. That's it. Just let them go. Like baseball, three strikes, you're out. But Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Meaning, you should lose count. When somebody sins against you, you should lose count. You shouldn't think, oh, 67, 68, 69. It's, it's a number that you should have stopped counting by now. That's how many times you should be forgiven. So I want to break up this parable that we'll be looking at into three scenes. The first scene, well, each scene has a response. So the first scene is measure the debt. The second scene is compare the response. Third scene, beware of judgment. So measure the debt, scene one. Scene two, compare the response. Scene three, beware of the judgment. So scene one, measure the debt. Matthew 18, verse 23 says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So again, parables are essentially analogies, stories that are teaching spiritual truth. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's making a comparison. The kingdom of God that he came to inaugurate with his coming is compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. Verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So it's really challenging to try to put biblical currency into modern day currency. You know, people try to think of inflation and exchange rates and all these different things. It's it's really hard, but a a talent was essentially what one would earn in 20 years. It's like 20 years worth of salary. Okay? So he had 20 years worth of salary, but 10,000 times that. So this is 200,000 years worth of salary. You know, a talent was the highest form of currency. It's the highest currency that they had. And then the the Greek numeral for how they calculated sums was the 10,000. So in Greek, there is no digit above 10,000, okay? So you have Jesus employing the greatest currency and the greatest number to say a lot of debt was owed. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, so it's not even a question. He could not pay. He could not pay this. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the proceeds are not going to cover what he's going to, what he's owed. The proceeds are just like the lawyer, the king trying to just get something out of the deal. But 
what's clear is this man, this servant, will be punished. He's going to be punished for this debt that he has racked up and is unable to pay for. I think um, this past week, I think I, it was this past week or last week, I came across this tragic story of a 20-year-old investor. Um, he was using a, an app that is free. You can download it right now. It's free. And if you sign up, you will get a free stock, a free share of stock. So it's, it's available to anyone. Whoever wants to sign up, you can sign up. So he signed up, and he had been investing. And one day, he opened the app, and he saw a negative balance of $730,000. So almost a million dollars. So this guy is 20 years old. He's a college student studying business. And he's, you know, he's trading like a more complex version of stocks called options. But he's still a novice investor in college, 20 years old, almost a million dollars. The app is saying, you owe us almost a million dollars. So, you know, it takes a long time to make a million dollars. We don't just do that overnight. So this guy was looking at the situation and saw how desperate he was. The tragedy of the story is he left a note. Then he stepped in front of a moving train. He was desperate. Like, where's he going to get that money from? When I was thinking about this story, it reminded me, you know, suicide is... It it's, it's almost seems like this appealing option when you feel like you have no other options. When you feel like there's a debt that you cannot pay, you think to yourself, what can I do? Like, where can I go from here? And suicide looks like an option. And I, I really want to encourage anyone hearing my voice right now if suicide is ever in your mind or someone you know, I, I beg you, please talk to someone. Like, use that as an opportunity to, to open up to someone else. We, there are many, many, many great resources in this church. Um, I have a few contacts. I, I know someone who who suicide prevention is his job. So if you ever feel that desire or that hopelessness, please engage, talk. And hopefully we can, or whoever you talk to is able to show you that there might be another option. There might be another way forward. It might be hard. It might be challenging. But there might be another way forward. 
unfortunately for this individual, this servant in this passage, there was. He, he, he says in verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. So it's not like this servant could pay the debt, you know, so he's stuck between this massive debt and he's stuck between this terrible judgment. But he just begs the king, the master, please just don't do anything, right? Like, give me time. Maybe time can fix this. And the master does something that is far better than what he requested. The master forgives and cancels the debt. Verse 27, and out of the pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So this is like great news. It means that from this point on, there is no more debt to worry about. He's free from this obligation. He doesn't have 200,000 years worth of salary on his shoulders anymore. He doesn't even have to concern himself about it because it's been canceled. It's been forgiven. There's two things that we learned about forgiveness from this passage. One, forgiveness is never passive. It's always active. When you forgive someone, you are actively releasing them from that debt. You are committing to not holding that debt against someone forever. That's what forgiveness does. And two, forgiveness is always costly. Like, if I forgive you a debt, the debt doesn't just go away. I absorb the cost. It's my cost now. I, I have to deal with the consequences. But you don't. You are free from the consequences. And this is true for any type of hurt, you know, like pain, physical pain. You step on my toe. I forgive you. The pain doesn't just go away. I absorb it. I, I carry it. Same with if someone were to shoot my son, kill him. I forgive someone. He doesn't come back to life. That's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness means I am choosing not to hold what you have done against you. Now you can see why Peter is asking this question. How many times do I have to do that? That's costly. How many times do I have to actively bear the cost of other people's stupid stupidity? Their, their foolishness, their wickedness, their anger, their wrath. How many times do I have to forgive other people like that? Jesus tells this parable not to simply tell us about the importance of forgiveness, but he tells this parable to tell us about God's forgiveness of us. Matthew 6 is probably the most notable point where this topic of forgiveness comes up in this gospel. In Matthew 6, verse 12, 
Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, Father, forgive us our debts. So there's a lot of ways to talk about sin. One way is debt. Forgive us our debts, God, as we forgive, as we have also forgiven our debtors. So we, we, God, you forgive us the, the same way as we have forgiven our debtors. So God, that forgiveness, your forgiveness is on display right now through this parable. It's the 200,000 years worth of debt being absorbed, being satisfied. And this is why the cross is so important because for Christians, it's not an ugly scene. It's, it's a beautiful picture of God taking sin seriously, but taking sin seriously in a way that protects us, saves us. Because otherwise we would have bared the wrath of God. We would have suffered under the wrath of God, but now you have Jesus willingly giving himself, suffering for our sins. He pays the cost. He absorbs the wrath. And if you are a kingdom citizen, this is what Jesus is saying through his parable, if you're a kingdom citizen, if you are a Christian, then you have received forgiveness in a way that resembles this servant. So learn how to measure your debt. You know, the sad thing is we don't see our sin that way. Usually we are thinking to ourselves, I'm not that bad, you know? Yeah, I might have done like one or two bad things, but God's standard is the measure, not our standard. And God measures not just our actions, but our thoughts. He measures our desires. And any deviation from his perfect will is sin. So how we see our sin should be measured against how God sees our sin. That's the way we know we're tracking with this passage. If we look at this passage and say, wow, I think my sin was costly like that guy's debt, then we're, 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 we're on the right track. If we don't see it that way, we're missing something. We need to explore God's law, explore who he is, what he demands, what he commands of us. And then we'll be able to understand where we are in relation to him. So if you are a Christian, God has forgiven your debt like this man was forgiven. And if you're not, there's a debt that hangs over you. It just, it's, it's there. You might not see it, you might not realize it, you might not feel it, but it's there because God sees and is a judge. So the question is, how are we going to respond? How will you respond to a massive amount of debt that you owe? How will you respond to your sin? The only proper response in this situation is to fall on our knees and ask for forgiveness. And that leads us to the second scene. Compare the response. Verse 28 
but when that same servant went out. So he's received this forgiveness. But now he's going out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's almost like he was searching for him. He, he was looking, then he found him. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this man has just had this massive debt forgiven. He's finding somebody who owes him something. And he's grabbing him and choking him and saying, pay what, pay what you owe. So the first problem here is this debt is pretty small. It's not insignificant, but it's smaller. That's what you should be comparing. Compare the debt. A denarii was a day's wage. So you have 100 denarii. That's equal to about a third of a year. So you have about like four months. Let's say four months. Let's say half a year of money. This is how much somebody would make in a half a year. So this man just had 200,000 years forgiven. And then a denarii. 100 denarii, four months of wages. So it's a bit confusing why he's grabbing and choking and saying, pay what you owe, right after he stepped out of the first scene. The first scene should have had some effect on the second scene. What's going on? Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. So again, this is about comparison. So the first scene, these are the exact same words that the servant cried out to the master. Verse 26, have mercy on me. I will repay you. Verse 29, the second servant is responding the same way. A fellow servant responding with the same words. So, of course, there should be the same effect, right? king, the master, had pity. But verse 30 says, the servant, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So again, if you're tracking with this passage, you're supposed to ask yourself, do I see my debt the same way that this first servant had debt? Do I see my debt of sin the same way the servant had debt? Second question you should ask yourself is, do I see the sins of others against me as smaller than the debt that I owe God. You know, I was, I just, I, I was just sitting around yesterday, thinking, calculating, how many times I've hit somebody's car. Um, I've been driving for 17 years, and I think I counted at least five times that I've hit a car, somebody else's car. Um, one time, it, was a, it wasn't even a car. It was a post office truck. And it was outside my apartment. And I hit it. And I was just scared because I'm like, that's government property. And like, this is going to be bad. Um, I don't, somehow they were able to work it out so that I only had to pay like $50. So it was, it was so great. It was so good. And I didn't have to go through my insurance. So my insurance didn't go up. Um, there was this other time. Um, this... I hit this person in a parking lot, 
man, I had to, I was so broke back then. I think I was like in school, I was broke. I had to work out a payment plan. So we went to McDonald's and we talked and we worked out this payment plan over months. And I had to like pay a little bit of money towards this guy's car. Um, but you know, it worked out. I don't even know how much money it was, but I was able to pay it, done. This one time I was in Minnesota. I recently moved here, parked outside my house and, or a house that I lived in. And I think, I think the situation was, I was, thought I was going forward, but I had it in reverse and it was snowy and it was dark and I, I like reversed and whoosh, hit this car. So then I'm just like, oh no, okay, nobody saw me. So I'll just go about my business. Um, but then I felt really convicted, so then I left a note with my phone number. Said, hey, I think I hit your car, so if you wanna reach out, talk to me about it, feel free. I think it was like a day or two later, um, I got a phone call. And the guy picks up, he says, hey, you hit my car. I'm like, oh, hello, hello. He's like, hey, yeah, you hit my car. And I was like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I left my, no I left the note, and I feel bad. Like, what can I do? Like, do you know how much it's gonna cost? He was like, man, the damage is, it's a lot. Like, it's, it's really bad. I was like, yeah, I didn't think it was that bad, but like, I mean, if you're saying it's bad, then like, let's, let's talk. Let's. He was like, oh no, I'm just kidding. He's like, it's okay, and he just let me go. I was so relieved, so relieved. Like, you know, like it, it felt good because I left my phone number, so it felt like I, I actually wanted to pay the debt, but I did not want to pay the debt. Like, I promise you, I did not want to pay the debt. But he just released me. And the crazy thing is, like, he's a neighbor, so I see his car <laughs> all the time, and, like, and I see my damage that I created, and he just let it go. The way that you know that you are tracking with this parable is if you see shock, a shocking situation like the fellow servants did. You know, like if you leave a situation like I did where your debt is forgiven, it's like gone, and then someone hits your car, just a tiny little scratch. You could even repair it yourself. It's fine. And you say, I'm going to take you to court. I hate you. I can't stand you. How did you, what were you thinking? Are you stupid? If you start acting like that, there's a problem. That's what this passage is trying to teach. Verse 31 says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. It was stressful for them to see what had just taken place. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Like they weren't foolish, they knew that debt should be paid. But this guy had just been forgiven so much. Why is he acting in this way? You know, I was thinking there's, it's really hard to be a Christian because like being a Christian, you have to, one, be reminded that you're a sinner a lot. 
You know, like you read the Bible, it talks about how sinful you are. Um, and our eyes are like wired to see the sins of other people. Like it takes a lot of work to see our own sins, you know. We have to look in a mirror. We have to be introspective. We have to think and meditate. And what is this? How does this apply to me? So it's hard to see and be reminded of our sin. But then too, like, we have to like properly evaluate our sin. We have to say our sin is really bad. Like we can't just say like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. We have to say it's really bad. We have to properly evaluate it. And then we have to care about one's sin. Like we have to care about our sin enough to do something about it, to humble ourselves, repent, ask for forgiveness. But then, this is the fourth level. We have to apply the same standard that we do for our sins on the sins of others. So do I treat people the way that I was treated? The way I'm loved, do I love? The way I was merciful, received mercy, am I giving mercy? Like, that's generally not how we function. You know, that's not the, the disposition of our hearts. Instead, you know, when someone sins against us, the first words that we're thinking of is justice, payment. But when we sin against other people, the first thoughts that we have are forgiveness, mercy, patience. So where's the disconnect? The disconnect comes from being unmoved, unaware of what we have experienced. The mercy that we've received should be the mercy that we give. If God has forgiven you, you should be a forgiver. You know, I was listening to a podcast and um, there's a couple who had been married for 30 four years, and 17 years into the marriage, the wife had a, an affair, she says, for three weeks. Um, so 17 years, it's all good, affair, three weeks, and she's wondering, like, what should I do? How do I, how do I process this? And not only that, but she has a child from this affair. So I was looking at this interview and just thinking, man, this is a real good picture of what forgiveness can look like because you have here both the husband and wife still together after 34 years, crying with one another, saying, yes, that was a very difficult season in our lives, but we still love each other. We're still forgiving. And the husband, he took an additional step, I don't even know how to describe it. He took a step of forgiveness by naming the child after himself so that he would and the child would know that that was his son. He was going to raise him. He was going to take care of him. That wouldn't be a child that somebody else has to deal with. No, this husband was willingly embracing his wife in a devastating moment. And it was so crazy to see him cry and 
with tears in his eyes say, I'm able to forgive her because I've been forgiven. That's how it works. And, you know, I don't know why I chose this passage to preach on. um, But at some point I realized, like, the social justice theme um, is probably what unites all my sermons, all the, the past sermons for this summer. You know, Psalm 11, there's God being a righteous judge who will judge every wrong. Nothing escapes his eye. So we should pursue righteousness. We should pursue justice. And then the Good Samaritans, how we ought to love. We ought to love even those that we would think of as unlovable. When we see a situation, even our very enemies, we should be willing to love them in that situation that they're in. But then this sermon, it's like, oh, how does this fit with social justice? And I was thinking, the topic of forgiveness is one of those underplayed conversations when it comes to social justice. Because it's hard. Like, once you say, hey, I think you should forgive this person, it almost seems like you're focusing on the perpetrator, the criminal. Like, why why are you spending so much time focusing on them? Don't you see, I'm hurting. Do you care about me? And I would say, yes, I, I really care about you. That's why I'm asking you to forgive. Because if we don't forgive, we let those sins of other people have their effect on us. They, it's like those sins have their way. We're, we're, we're no longer motivated by love, by goodness. We're motivated by that person's sins. So that person's sins has captured us. It's like locked us in a grip. And our response is contingent on how that person sins against us. But wouldn't it be nice to be free? to be motivated out of love, not revenge? Wouldn't it be nice to be compelled by forgiveness as opposed to ruled, enslaved by someone else's sin? That's why Charles Spurgeon said, to be forgiven is sweeter than honey. And the only thing sweeter is to forgive because as you forgive, you're like, doing something that is really, really good. You're doing something that really only God is good at. You're you're able to love in a way that God loves. And I know it doesn't feel that way all the time. It doesn't feel like it's a joy, sweet to forgive. But, you know, God enables you to do what is impossible for you to do on your own. And that and every time that happens should be amazing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work both to will and to do his good pleasure. Be amazed that God is working through you. Like I heard somebody say once that bitterness and unfor- like an unforgiving heart is like drinking poison. And expecting someone else to die. Like it affects us, it rots us, it corrupts us. But when we are set free 
to forgive, to love. It's amazing. So don't let your heart be enslaved by a lack of forgiveness. And the promise is that anyone who forgives will be forgiven, but you also know that the sin will be taken care of. Again, that's what the cross is for, to show us that every sin will either be punished in hell or at the cross. It's either paid for by Jesus or it will be paid for by the sinner. So you don't have to be captured by someone else's sin. You can forgive. Scene three. Beware of the judgment. Verse 32 says, Then this master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Verse 34, In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Again, this, is, this wasn't going to happen. So he was going to be in prison. The, the, the jailer is kind of like a really nice word. is torturer. Like he was going to be tortured, suffer because of his failure to pay forever because he could not pay it. Jesus is saying, this is the judgment that awaits all who do not forgive. You know, the first thing that returns to the scene is the master. He's back. He's like, hey, what are you doing? That's not how we operate in this kingdom. You're going to suffer for this lack of forgiveness. And I know, like, I had the question, but I thought his debt was forgiven. <laughs> like, how... How can you forgive somebody and then take back that forgiveness? Like, and this is God we're talking about. God, how can you forgive somebody and then change your mind? Notice verse 33. It says, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In other words, the master set an example of what forgiveness looked like and how the servants were to relate to one another. Because when God forgives us, he not only cancels our debt, but he transforms our hearts. So think about it this way. Forgiveness is never merely transactional. It's not simply a canceling of a debt. It's transactional, but it's also transformational. Meaning, when God forgives us, he gives us a forgiving heart. And if we don't have that forgiving heart that proves that we've been forgiven, then we have not been forgiven. So the debt still remains. It's almost like being forgiven in words versus being forgiven in practice. Being forgiven like in real life. Parable is a way to explain Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So if you forgive, God will forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So forgiveness from God should create forgiveness in our hearts for other people. If we don't have that forgiveness for other people, then we have not been forgiven by God. So it's like a fruit and root thing again. Do I have the fruit of forgiveness to show the root of being forgiven? And sometimes, you know, like our forgiveness is not what it should be. Like we need to be forgiven for our lack of forgiving. But over time, time will tell. Have we truly been transformed so that we forgive like God forgives us? That's what's important in this passage. And the truth is, if you do not forgive, judgment awaits. That's what verse 35 says. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So don't, like this, this is the connection that I have from last week's sermon, Isaiah 55. Don't trade 200,000 years of forgiveness for what you could potentially earn from half a year of somebody's debt. Like, don't do that. That's, that's how we naturally work. We, we trade what satisfies, what's good for what doesn't satisfy. Don't do that. Don't give yourself to this attitude or lack of forgiveness and miss out on God forgiving you because God's forgiveness is always greater, always greater than any forgiveness that we have to do. So our forgiveness is really a pointer to what God has done for us. We glorify God. We make much of his forgiveness as we forgive other people. So who might God be calling you to forgive? And if he is calling you to forgive, don't miss out on his forgiveness by not forgiving. That's the point of this parable. I'm going to quickly apply it in three ways and then give my farewell speech. Um, One, be vigilant against unforgiving hearts. In a church like this, in a group of people, small group, whatever it might be. Um, I think maybe a lesson that we can learn from this passage is the other servants saw that unforgiving heart and it stressed them out. So when you see that in someone else's heart, um, it should stress you out because what that lack of forgiveness might mean is that they have not been forgiven. So I mean, rather than gossip and, you know, just throw logs and sticks and stones at people, I think maybe we can learn something from this passage and say, God, change their hearts. That's what the fellow servants did. They went to God. They went to their master and said, hey, there's something happening here. And God is able to change that person. That's called intercession. I'm standing in the gap for someone else. Third, second, um, I think we should remember the forgiveness that we've received. 
for the last six or seven years, I've been saying the Apostles' Creed like a lot, probably like a hundred times. I've stood up here and said the Apostles' Creed. And one of the lines says, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Like, isn't that obvious as a Christian? I think the point is we should remember that often. We should remember how we have been recipients of great mercy. And that should remind us that we ought to be givers of great mercy and forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said, to believe in the forgiveness of sins is not nearly as easy as I thought. Real belief can easily slip away if we don't keep polishing it up. That's what we, that's why we recite the Apostles' Creed. Like, I've been saying it for six, seven years, and I need to say it again and again, daily. Third, um, cancel culture. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but don't do it. As a Christian, you should never treat someone as though their single mistake makes them perpetually unforgivable. Like, that is not how God treated you, so you should not do that to anyone. I'll conclude like this. Um, I've been a part of a predominantly Asian-American church for the last 12, 13 years, okay? So CFC, moved here, CLC, and I've had highs and lows, um, but I remember this one time when I was babysitting Pastor Jung's kids, and I was just watching them outside, and um, one of them got my attention, and he said, uncle. And um, the kids, the next door neighbors, I just, I heard them say, that's not your uncle. <laughs> like, they said that. <laughs> they were like, what's he talking about? That's not his uncle. Like, what? Why would he even say that? And I mean, I know they're being polite. You know, my wife's culture, they do the same thing. Everybody's an aunt if they're older than you. Um, but, you know, it was pretty interesting because I think for a good portion of my life, what the neighbor, the neighbor, the neighbors were saying made a lot of sense to me. I'm not Asian, so I'm not related. Like, don't, don't make that connection. And back in the day, that was an embarrassing moment because I didn't want to really talk about it. But it was also like a, an illustration of my difference. Like, oh, man, I'm not Asian, but I'm here. Um, I think now it's not embarrassing anymore. I think that moment is a picture in my mind of how God unites people of all different backgrounds, of all different socioeconomic classes, degrees, no degrees, whatever it might be, in faith. Something that they were looking at the externals. Jesus unites us based on the internals, faith in him. And that was, a, that is how I'm leaving CLC, thinking, man, I'm so grateful that I was welcomed and accepted and had the privilege of doing things 
not because I was Asian, because I'm not, but because of our shared unity in the gospel. And how crazy would it be if people came to me and I treated them like strangers? If I treated them like I couldn't connect with them wherever I go. The same is with us. Like we have a privilege, a unique opportunity to accept, despite all the differences that would divide, we have a unique opportunity to accept based on faith in Christ. And that's also true about forgiveness. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Forgiveness is like spiritual DNA. It should be coursing through our blood. Like the way we define ourselves as Christians should include the word forgiveness because we have been forgiven. So if we have been forgiven, we should forgive because forgiven people forgive. And if you have not been forgiven, there is still the offer to see how short you have fallen from the glory of God and to be reconciled to God through Christ apart from anything that you can do based on Christ alone. Like that is the option. That's the, that's the hope. That's, you're, you don't have to exist in that desperate situation anymore. You can be forgiven and transformed to forgive. Let's pray together. The only appropriate way to respond to the love, the mercy, the patience that we have received is to display it. That's what God is doing. He's transforming our hearts so that we look like him. That's, that's, that's how the parable is functioning. The servants should look like the master. We should look like our savior. We should look like Jesus who said, even as he was dying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not if they repent before I die in the next few minutes. No, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was willing to forgive. And the same is true for us. We should be willing to forgive as many times as we want to be forgiven by God. Forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. So let's just take a few moments. Maybe think about someone you have to forgive or think about someone who has forgiven you or just remind yourself of the grace that was poured out so that you might be forgiven by God. And then we'll close with a song. Before we close, we'll just pray in response to the sermon and, um, and pray for forgiving hearts that will enable us to uh, be like God and forgive others. Pray for that. Um, everyone needs to be forgiven. I guess forgiveness, the topic of forgiveness is the thing that unites all of humanity together. Right, like in the in the in the day of division, in the day of um, 
division not only in our country, but a lot of times that leads into the church as well. And then, you know, just like Pastor Thomas talked about, like we think certain types of people need to be um, um, taken care of, and then certain types of people need to be, um, I don't know, like um, uh, prosecuted or something like that. Um, and so we have uh, selective eyes when it's a topic of forgiveness, but really, um, it really unites uh, all of us together before the fiery eyes of God. Uh, we all need to be forgiven. And uh, perhaps there's no time when we're displaying the gospel, the heart of the gospel, more than when we're actually extending grace and forgiving others. So let's pray for that. Let's pray that uh, we would be able to forgive the person that, the random person that cuts us off in traffic, as well as the deep-rooted hurts that we have, perhaps even to family members that go years and years back, that we'd be able to forgive in every single situation because of the great awareness that we have been forgiven by the amazing love of God. Let's pray for that for a moment, a brief moment, and I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that... Uh, is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We confess that many times we're um, trapped by our own thoughts and our own feelings that overwhelm us and that are not your ways. We confess that your ways are higher and uh, it's because you are so different and so holy and so unique that you thought to send your son die on the cross to forgive us of our sins and to release us of our debts. And, uh, and as we believe that in our hearts that we've been forgiven an eternal debt, help us to follow the higher ways of God and forgive others that have trespassed against us. Pray for uh, not only transaction but transformation within our hearts that it would be that ongoing transformative process that as we receive from you and in every human transaction that we have, that we would display the transformed heart and extend forgiveness to others and help us daily in all those moments that you give us opportunities to display the gospel, to forgive and demonstrate Christ's love in a real way. Thank you that that's made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us that we can love and forgive others. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this uh, uh, unchanging love of God, the transformative love of God, the Father God, and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you God's people both now and forever. Amen.